0: The message you are listening to is recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2019 Campus Outreach New Year's Conference. More information about Campus Outreach New Year's Conference can be found at conycnd.com. Yeah, you can hear it okay, right? If I hold it really close to my mouth. All right. Um, so let's get this thing started. I'm going to pray and then we'll kind of jump into it. Sorry if you don't have an outline. Um, I didn't think many people were going to come to my talk, so <laughs> didn't plan for that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Father, uh, give us a spirit of humility. Um, God, as we just bow before the cross, uh, God, help us uh, realize who we are before you. Um, God, a true, our true state before you. God, help us be um, God, aware of that. And bow us down humbly before the cross. Um, help whatever's true um, stick in our minds and our hearts. Uh, and Help us bow down uh, truly before you. And so, we probably pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Um, so, Usually, like, when you give a talk, it's kind of, like, giving talks one-on-one is you start off with, like, a good story to, like, make sure you, like, relate to the topic at hand. You know what I mean? And, like, a lot of the other thing with talks is, like, when the guy gets up front, you just kind of sit here and think, the guy's an expert, right? If you're reading books on humility, they're always like, I'm not an expert on humility. It's like, of course I'm not an expert on humility. If you go to the Greek luncheon, you're like, give me the tips on how to reach Greeks. But, like, with the humility stuff, it's like, what do I go over here and say? Like, yeah, I'm the man of this. Like, I've already got it down. <laughs> And whatever, But you guys are probably also recognizing something else, is that I'm just a really average person. <laughs> like, so, I mean, dead honest. Like, my whole life, I couldn't have been more average. Like, people make fun of junior high kids for being short and pudgy. I was short and pudgy. I'm like 5'9". I'm white, you know? It's like 180 pounds. It's like, I'm the most basic guy. And you're like, you probably don't need a ton of stories to make us know that you've probably been humbled a couple times in your life. But maybe just for your entertainment, I'll give you a couple. And so, raise a hand. How many of you guys know who John Piper is? <laughs> That's awesome. I'm glad you do. I was kind of worried. I didn't know if you would or not. So, this last summer, because I worked for uh, Camp Sourish. My name's is Chase, by the way. I don't know if I said that. Um, because I worked for Camp Sourish, I had to raise support, right? And so, I was in Michigan this summer, um, kind of on vacation with my wife, um, who's not here. She's working uh, right now. She's not with me. Um, but we were in this, like, I don't know, cabin on this lake. Uh, in Michigan, and there's this church close by. I looked up online. I was like, I'm going to go visit this place. So I go. I meet with the pastor. I talk to this guy. He's super cool. And this older gentleman comes up to me. And he's like, hey, what's your name? I'm like, Chase. I'm like, what's your name? He goes, Don Westblade. I'm, I'm a professor at the college in town. I was like, oh, that's awesome. And so we start talking. This is so ridiculous. It sounds so bad to say I got loud out of my mouth um, in front of all of you. It sounded funnier in my head. Anyways, I'm talking to this guy. And we're, like, having this conversation. He starts asking me all these questions. You know, oh, what's Camp Saturday's like? It's like this. Oh, you guys are, yeah, you're connected to the local church. Right? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's just pumped about it. He's like, I've been going to this church for 30 years. I've been to seminary. because am I've got, like, my doctorate in philosophy, and I teach in the philosophy department at this school. It's in Hillsdale, Michigan. It's Hillsdale College. It's actually a, a really, really good school, like, academically. Some people say it's one of the most rigorous colleges, like, in the country, uh, kind of for, like, the conservative world. And so I'm talking to this guy, and he starts bringing up the philosophy stuff, and I just read, like, this book on philosophy, and it really is, like, it's a fairly big book, but I was just, it's, like, the only book I've ever read on philosophy, I don't know anything about it, so I'm no expert on it, but I was feeling pretty good about myself. <laughs> I was like, hey, have you ever read John Frame's book on philosophy? And he said, no. I was like, you should read that. And he's like, you know, I, I think I will. That's a, that's a good idea. They're like, yeah, you know, you should read it. That'd be a great idea. And then he went on asking me about my ministry, and his son works for Young Life. He said, like, you should connect with him. You're a really good guy. And I was like, yeah, I am a good guy, you know, thanks for saying that. <laughs> Anyways, that's kind of like the bad part of the story, because I went away thinking that was cool. Like, I, I helped that guy. Like, just, like, legitimately, I thought that. And so a few months later, I'm reading this book. It's called, like, Essays in Honor of John Piper. That's where they all just come together. And I'm like, you know, I wonder who knows John Piper well enough to write a book that honors him, right? Like, that writes all these essays uh, to honor John Piper. So I looked through the list of contributors, and I go down to, like, it's like Jonathan Edwards and the Sovereignty of God and the Theology of John Piper or something like that. Like, that sounds super awesome. Like, I'd love to read that essay. And I look, and it says Don Westblade. I'm like, Don Westblade? Who's that guy? You know, I was like... That's, that's not the guy I met at that, that church in Hillsdale, Michigan, is it? And I look, and this guy's a professor of philosophy at Hillsdale, Michigan. And I sat there, I was like, dang it, I'm such an idiot, you know? And I was like, I sat there for 30 minutes, taught this guy, never asked him, like, what book I should read. He's like a genius. And then I was reading Future Grace, if you've ever read that book. And at the very end, he has this quote, and it says, I, I can only attribute this quote to Professor Don Westblade. I'm indebted to him for a lot of this stuff in this book or something. I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm such a moron. So I emailed him, I was like, hey man, thanks for everything you do. Uh, sorry for being an idiot. <laughs> and then he emailed like right away, I was like, hey, you know, I hope you can connect with my son. I was like, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but another story before I jump into the content, which is probably what you really want from me. Um, just to help you know, like I'm in the battle against pride for real. Um, so when I was in college... Uh, I was in this D group with all these guys for several years, and every once in a while we do something like what we call like a roast session. You guys know what that is? Raise your hand. Yeah, you've probably been a few of those. And if there's like one moment that you should be humble, it's in a roast session because there's going at your life. And usually it's not very tactful. It's not like, hey man, I've been noticing like this tendency in your life like you might do as you get a little older. It's usually like, hey man, you're, you know, you're kind of acting dumb all the time, like. <laughs> When you play pickup basketball, you probably shouldn't cuss out those freshmen you're trying to evangelize, you know? Like, stuff like that. Like, it's not tag It's not really, um, like, clean. And so I'm sitting there. It's my turn to get roasted. And usually you just think, like, shut up and take it, but not for a guy like me. And I wish I would have, like, grown intense at this point, too. And this sounds terrible as well. But this, my buddy Alec Dutko, which maybe some of you know, is sitting there and just, like, in the most humble way possible. He's like, hey, I've noticed this in your life. I think you could work on this a lot. Um, I know you've struggled with this or whatever. And I just saw that as a moment, because I was like, so what evidence do you have to to show that I've actually been doing this? And he didn't really have a ton. He just kind of, it was intuitive, I guess. But it was definitely true. Like, what he was saying was true. And I knew that, but I just didn't want to, like, put it, be put on blast. And I'm like, this is a moment where Ducko needs to learn how to defend his argument. And I just sat there, and I just turned it on. I was like, "Ducko, you I basically told him he was weak. And I was like, this is a terrible, like... It's even helpful. Like, why would you even say that? And he's like, sorry. And I was like, yeah, you're right. You should be sorry. <laughs> I just remember like, gosh, like, this is the most arrogant thing, you know, like that I could do on like a roast session all about me and how much I'm a sinner or whatever. I just turned on Dutco and made him feel like an idiot. So, you know, it's pretty unfortunate. But just all that to be said is that I really am in the battle with you as far as fighting pride. Uh, and it's extremely important. And so I hope with this talk, that I'm able to do, like, a couple of things for you. And first off, I hope it's convicting. Like, I hope as it regards this matter of humility, that you really are convicted. I wish someone would have sat me down in college and been like, Chase, you're arrogant. St- like, stop doing it. it just makes stop being arrogant. Like, you don't have any reason to do it. Just that bluntly. Like, I wish someone would have sat down and, and really made me feel humble to a degree. Like, honestly, I, I really need that. Um, So I hope you feel a little bit convicted. Secondly, I hope it's just informing, like, about the Bible as it relates to humility. Um, And thirdly, I just hope it's practical, like, that there's steps you can take away for how to actually grow in humility. And so on a real note, I just kind of want to illustrate through another story, not about me, but about, like, a historical event, um, to illustrate how important humility is in the world, in God's world, the way he's designed it. And so uh, I want to take you back to June 6, 19... 44. So does anyone know what happened on June 6, 1944? T-day. That's right, T-Day. And so it's an extremely important event in world history, really. Um, and maybe, you know, I'm lame for being interested in this kind of stuff. But I think this story is fascinating. So uh, the Allied troops invaded um, France in the beaches of Normandy, right? It's intense. Have you ever seen Saving Private Ryan, it's like, that's a pretty serious deal there. But in preparation for that, Hitler had been building defenses on the northern side of France, southern side of France, all over the world, and he had built this massive empire, right, that he was going to conquer the world with, and so for a moment, I want you to imagine like you were Hitler, and so for three years previous to this, he's like, God, his second in command, Erwin Rommel was his name, was like, hey, Hitler, you know, I think the Allied forces are going to, they're probably going to come to Normandy, he's like, no, they're not, I know what they're going to do, because I've built this thing, Don't, don't, just don't talk to me about this, and so They built all these other forces in other places, not Normandy, didn't listen to Rommel, but he just kept pounding his door and I was like, dude, we need to put something up here because these guys are going to come. I just have a feeling. He's like, okay, you know, I'll put up a couple of things like you see in the movies, right? Those little like X things and you got some like machine gun um, kind of barriers. They, They put those up and that's it. And so on the night before this, Hitler went to bed and he said, don't wake me up if something happens. I don't believe that anything significant is going to happen tomorrow. It's going to be bad weather. No one's going to attack, okay? And so he said, no no matter what happens, don't wake me up. And and that morning, the Allied troops came and invaded the beaches of Normandy. And so they eventually kind of were like, dude, we need to wake this guy up and tell him about this. So they do. he's like, I told you, you know, don't wake me up. I need my sleep. But he's like, it's all all like a decoy. They're going to attack where I put the defenses, and they're going to be screwed. And they're like, I don't think that's happening. I think it's coming now. And he's like, no, I'm the one that's built this empire. I know what's going to happen. And so they told me, like, they've broken through the barriers. He goes, I don't believe it. I think you're lying to me. There's no way my plans were this, like, that I messed up. Like, there's no way that you knew better than I did that they saw through the way I built this thing. And so he let all of, their gun, like all of their barriers get overtaken, and France was invaded. And that was the end of the war, basically. It was the beginning of the end. And I think it, it took him several hours after that for him to send any reinforcements. And you just think, imagine if Hitler was humble. He probably would have won the war in some senses. But in a very real sense, what happened after that is his whole country was utterly destroyed. And economic crashes that lasted up until even in recent years um, all million, I mean, millions of people were killed, obviously as a result of his pride, but his family was destroyed, his mental health was destroyed to the point where he ended up killing himself. Like everything crumbled from underneath of him, and it brings like, a lot of light to what the Bible begins to say about pride. And I say this for you is that I honestly think this. I sat in a talk last year where the guy talked about the Bible and said this is the most important talk. And this year, maybe the guy' talk about the Bible is he would say the same thing. But I think this issue of humility is maybe the most important and the most dangerous thing you're going to hear at this New Year's conference overall, because the presence of pride in your life, it will destroy your family, it will destroy your friends, it will destroy your mental health, your physical health, your emotional health, your financial well-being. And so if you persist in pride in your life, it will destroy you, and eventually, it will destroy your relationship with God. It will... Render you utterly useless and without any way to function in a relationship with God. Um, and I just think it's a really big deal. And so Jesus upholds it as a chief virtue, but we avoid it kind of like the plague, right? We just kind of think, "Oh, that's good for uh, I'm, I'm reasonably humble." Um, the Bible says, "God opposes the proud," yet we act like that's a threat and not a promise. Um, God says, "Everyone who's arrogant heart um, will be punished," yet we act like. As long as I'm reasonably nice to people and I read my Bible, I'll be okay. Um, But I think this matter is a huge deal and the root of all of our sin struggles. And so I hope that you can be engaged as we begin to talk about some of these serious matters. And so the question becomes, what does the Bible actually say about this issue? Um, I think oftentimes we think about pride being the guy like at the party that talks about high school sports um, all the time, walks around with, like, a cutoff on, with tons of hubris or whatever. Maybe it's, like, the girl you know that's, like, want to associate with some group of people, because she thinks better than them, or whatever. You know, like, these blatant issues of pride. But I think pride is way more deceptive than just that. Like, obviously. That'd be, like, we're all pretty average, you know, I think, unless I'm just missing someone out here. Like, you're probably not that guy for the most part, but I would suggest that pride probably has a huge uh, presence in your life. And so, I think pride is more deceptive. Um, and so I think before we start and I go through like, what are the dangers, what are the symptoms, signs? I want to give you kind of maybe an idea of a way to think about what pride is. And I kind of began to think about it, and I think it's like this. You know when you look at like a group photo that you're in? Who's the only person that you look at in that group photo? Yourself. You just kind of look at them. It's not always that you're like, man, I look good in that picture. Like I, man, I look better than everyone else. Like I look jacked or whatever. Sometimes you think I kind of look ugly in that picture, you know. Like at the, our St. Louis or our fall retreat this year, I took this picture of these people, and one of the girls on staff with us like edited it to put like in all these newsletters and stuff. She's like, "This is a great picture." And I remember looking at it, just being like, "I look so fat in that picture." Like I mean, I just look terrible. And I showed it to like these guys in my discipleship group. They're like, "You look, you look terrible in that picture." But on a real life, when we look at group pictures, we just look at ourselves. I, I say that pride's sort of like that because pride isn't just thinking I'm awesome. A lot of times pride is just thinking about yourself too much because we don't all always think that we're really, really cool or we have everything together, if that makes sense. Sometimes we think we're like the worst person we know and we're just so hung up on it. Like we can't stop thinking about ourselves. We walk into a room and all we can do is think about us. As so I say, pride is kind of like a group photo that you look at yourself because it's a lot about the way, like our focus, our heart posture, and our, like our, our disposition to look at ourselves. And so it's not always to think we're awesome. Sometimes it's just being hung up on who we are, like being so concerned about us. And so I just think I would give that as a picture of a way to think about that. And so ultimately it's disastrous because it causes us to look at ourselves and not Jesus. And we'll get to that in a moment. And so I think a good starting place to understand what it is, um, what pride is, and what the effects of it are, um, is the book of Proverbs. I mean, you go through there, it's talking about, like, all the times, tons of wisdom in there. I think it's kind of what it's known for, you know? Um, and so in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, it says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. So the author's saying something like this, like, if you live a life of pride, um, you're on a path toward destru- destruction, uh Christian author, John Stott, if you guys know who that is, you know, writes kind of these short commentaries, uh, says that our conduct toward others is driven by our opinion of ourselves. And I think that's kind of helpful because it helps us make the connection between try and destruction our relationships. Like, if I'm primarily concerned with me, then I'm not longer concerned about you. I might help you to the point that it helps me, but I'm ultimately concerned about advancing myself, making myself feel better, or whatever. Like, I'm worried about me. That's the point. And I think John Stott's saying that when We have that opinion about ourselves, whether it's low or high. If it's all about us, it's destructive. If that makes sense, and I think that's what the author um, in the Proverbs is talking about. And so maybe you do the good good thing for the wrong reason to really advance your own purposes. I like the lame kid in high school. Sorry if that's like really mean. I <laughs> didn't mean to say it like that. But you know, he like, drops his books or whatever in the ground, and you're like, I'm going to help this guy. And everyone's like, Chase, you know, you're the man. But really what you're thinking is, like, I hope that girl I like down the hall, like, she sees that I'm like a good guy, if that makes sense. I think when you live a life like that, it can be destructive because of the self-serving nature of pride. And so um, I want to list out just kind of two categories, this will be fairly quick, of places where pride will reveal itself. And so the first is social. So this aspect of the way I view other people or the way I interact with other people. So in my head or maybe in real interaction. The second will be spiritual pride and the way that flushes itself out. And so I'm just going to kind of give some, like it's almost going to be list form. I think it might even, I guess I have categories or where you can write on there. Um, my outlines kind of suck. I realized that. <laughs> the guy had to print them off. But he was like, are these the talk? Are the, the notes that you're going to use to give your talk? Is like, no, I think I'm going to pass those out. And he's like, really? Why is there all those underlines? He's like, I don't know, man. I just, I just <laughs> did it like that. I don't really know why. Um, and so this will be kind of the social indicators of pride in your life. And I, I do this because I, I just guess that we just don't see our pride that well. And I've just probably maybe had a couple more years to recognize me being an idiot and being prideful than you have. And so I'm just going to kind of list these off. And so one indicator would be asking the question like, do you find yourself getting angry um, or anxious when someone gives you critical feedback or criticizes you? Maybe it's a coach, friend, a disciple, a teacher or parents. Um, But just that kind of presence of anger or anxiety that surrounds getting critical feedback, I think, is an indicator. Um, Have you often found yourself asking for help? Like, I think when you don't ask for help, that's an indication that you think you're self-sufficient. I can do it on my own without you weighing into this. Um, I think that's another kind of area. Just ask the question, would I rather fail, be confused, rather than admitting my need of assistance? Uh, and that might just sound really stupid, unless your name was Chase and you worked for Campus Outreach. <laughs> then you would run into that a lot. Um, when you meet with the person that disciples you, do you find yourself asking many questions? Once again, I imagine some of you are sitting there like, I never ask questions about anything. Um, and I, would just, I, would, I would guess that maybe that's an indicator of pride in your life. Um, do you assume that you already have the answers and the best way to do something rather than assuming there's information or wisdom that you don't know. A good example of that, this is a lost guy we were sharing faith with in a cafeteria last year. Had this super long conversation, he talked about like Nietzsche and all this stuff, and he's like, I bet you've never read any of this stuff, you know? And at the end of the conversation, I, wasn't, I was kind of like a, a bystander watching it, and it was like he did, like that moment where the guy that's like evangelizing him, kind of like he was in above his head, but he didn't want to like admit that he was wrong. You know, like that feeling, like, oh gosh, I have no idea what I'm saying, but I'm going to keep going. He was there. And the guy that he was talking to was also there. Like, I have no idea what I'm talking about, but I can't be wrong right now. But he was at the end, I was like out on the outside enough where I just asked the kid, I was like, dude, have you ever read the Bible? And he said, No, nope, I don't need to. And he's like, wait, what? Like, you just bashed the Bible and told us to read the hard parts, but you don't need to read it because you already have all the information, huh? And it was just kind of like an awkward moment of realizing that he just thought he didn't need any help. Or he was like above learning, basically. Um, just how often do you find yourself telling stories about someone in a negative light, even if just a little bit negative? For example, that guy's never on time. You know, kind of like everyone's laughing, like, yeah, you're right. But really what you're kind of saying subtly is, look, I'm always on time. You know, like that guy, I'll put him down because I kind of want to raise myself up a little bit. And it's just kind of worth thinking about how often you find yourself doing that. Um maybe just how often you catch yourself telling white lies to cover details or make yourself fit in another example of that just to realize you're not alone is there's this guy um, on the campus I work at a really cool guy got a lot of stuff going for him in this world um, and he's a really faithful follower of Christ but for months he' had been saying that he smoked weed in high school <laughs> and he never did but he just was like I feel like I need to have like this cool story and so you just tell it and like we're talking one day he's like I never smoked weed. I was like, oh, okay, like that's funny because I've been lying about it because I wanted it to seem cooler. <laughs> you're like, you're already like the coolest guy I know, man, but I guess you just want to fit in. I just think that's kind of a indicator for it. I think just thinking often about, you know, are my clothes cool enough? Did I say the right thing? Like, when I was in the cafeteria telling that story, was it funny enough? Or what if I would have said that? Or I'm evangelizing this person. Like, you're just running it through your head. Like, if I just would have those words, then, like, everyone would think I was awesome or something. I think with campus search staff, like, you just begin to think, like, am I discipling anyone? And when you don't, you just think, how can I coerce a couple people, you know, to be in my D group or something? That's how I got my guys. <laughs> that was the only way. Um, and so I think those are kind of some helpful areas. And if you want to talk later, I could probably maybe help you flesh out some more, but I want to keep going. And so in all of these, it's a sense of put, placing yourself above other people. Maybe it's in your view of them, or maybe it's in your interactions with them, putting them down a little bit or whatever. But another author, David Paulson, just says moral, moral superiority is deadly for relationships. He says it's poison, and it eventually you'll kill it. And so eventually a lot of you will be married, and you will see how that plays out, and it can be pretty ugly. And so I think that's pretty helpful. And I think in some of that section, it's just it's that feeling of like, if these people are just a little bit more like me, life would be better. Um, it's kind of attitude towards life and towards other people, um, I think is kind of that sum of how pride should up in relationships. And so to go further, I think we have to understand how dangerous pride is. We have to understand the spiritual aspect. And so in Proverbs uh, chapter 16, verse 5, it says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Uh, be assured, he will not go unpunished. It's a pretty serious verse, um, and the Bible really says that, like it just says it. Rose arrogant heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. And so we have to deal with that. And so just another list to help us see how we might this might be affecting our relationship to God. Um, one is just, is there some sin I haven't confessed? Not only to God, but to other people. Um, and the reason I say that is because sometimes we think it's easier to confess my sin to God than, you know, my buddy and my D group or something or my discipleship leader so is there sin that you haven't confessed do i want to preserve my image in front of man at the expense of my relationship with god um and so i think that's kind of helpful um is there an abundance of anger that rises up in your hearts especially at people with like their lack of spiritual discipline or zeal or a vision, or maybe they've struggled with something for a long time, or they're dating someone in a way that you wouldn't have dated them, or whatever. This is your anger as you think about those things. Um, do you tremble before the Word? Do you approach the Word for new and novel information that you can share with other people who you think need it? Um, it's easy to do that. Are you memorizing verses and storing them in your heart to cling to as sin and temptation come, or do you do it to make yourself feel good compared to other people in your community who you don't think memorize that much scripture? Um, I think that's another really challenging one. Uh, I think another one, and just don't hear me say the wrong thing in this, but just is there a presence of anxiety in my heart? Um, like a constant presence of anxiety, and I think First Peter says, um, cast your anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you. There's this reality when you cast your anxieties on God you're trusting him to provide when you have anxiety burdening you and caring with you. You're saying I can do it on my own and that's separating you from God. So don't hear me say I know the anxiety talking probably some of you went to that like it's more serious than just that. But that can be an indicator of the way you're viewing God. and You have pride in that relationship to him. And so I think that's kind of important to see. And I think all of this can kind of be summed up in a simple way. And I have a lot of these conversations because I see in my own life, but we feel self-sufficient as Christians, um, like we're self-made or something like that. Um, but I think a way in the Bible this is kind of summarized. I don't remember who was even saying this. It might have been Max Stiles, or I was listening to something else. But anyways, that story, like right before Jesus goes to the cross, they're in the garden, and Jesus is like, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And you're kind of like, that's probably going to happen. You know, Jesus, it seems like Jesus has known a lot of stuff up to this point. But Peter takes like, this challenge to his own strength and willpower, right? And so he says, no, I'm not. <laughs> and it's kind of like, well, you're an idiot. You know, like he's, he does stuff like this all the time, too, when you read the Gospels. But he says, no, you know, I'm not going to deny you. I'd die before I deny you. And then he ends up denying him, right? But in that, in that same sequence of events... Um, and James and John, they kind of have this argument, right, Like about who's going to be greatest, like who's like, Jesus loved the most or whatever. He's going to be the greatest human leader. And after that, before Jesus goes to the cross, he goes away and prays on his own. And he's bleeding because of the anxiety of, of the weakness he's about to feel, and the forsaking um, that's about to come to him from God. And he calls those three to come with him to pray. Um, and I just think that's kind of a powerful story in that Jesus is saying, you guys think you're strong. But your leader is about to be really, really weak. Um, he's about to go to a cross and be ashamed and mocked and scorned. And I just think Jesus in that moment shows us that weakness is like the way. Um, there's a J.I. Packer book called that. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't read it. i seen the title. Um, <laughs> but I think it's a good title, you know. Um, but I think it does show us that weakness is the way. And um, that Jesus bows himself down and prays. He asked God to remove this cup for him, but he says, if, if you won't, then your will be done. Um, have this wrath removed for me. but if that's not your will, then I will submit to you. But it's all going to be through this pathway of weakness in front of really prideful, arrogant disciples. And I think that's a great story. Um, kind of to transition um, kind of in the next part. I guess maybe the way that plays out, sorry. It's just in our Christian life, we feel self-sufficient. You might think things like, I haven't looked at porn in six months, I'm doing awesome. I don't think I'd fall to that again. Or you know, I don't really struggle with alcohol. I think I can live with all these lost guys in my fraternity house because I, I don't think it's gonna be a problem for me. Or no, don't no, no, me and my girlfriend or me and my boyfriend. No, we won't struggle with that. I, I kind of, I'm, I kind of past that. Like I think I've got that under, under, control. Or maybe you look at your friends who graduate and they're not sharing their faith. They're not plugged into a church. and You think I, I would never let that happen. And I think the story shows us no, we would. Peter had Jesus look at him and say, you're going to deny me, and he said, no, I'm not, I'm not. And then he did. Um, and if it weren't for Jesus preserving him and protecting him, he would have denied him for the rest of his life. And so I think you're, you are never too mature to fall into grief sin. Uh, you're never too mature to make um, little mistakes either, and I think it's humbling to realize that. Um, and I think in the moment where you think, I'm kind of over this and I fought it, is that's the moment where Satan's going to come in and he's going to attack you the most, where old habits are going to rise up again, um, where new habits are going to show themselves, where patterns of sin and unbelief will come in. So beware of that. And so lastly, I think pride um, is the precursor to destruction because it's pride that makes you think that you're something you're not. And so it's like standing on ice, when you stand on ice, when I was in junior high, my grandpa has this little fish pond, like a little koi pond. It's <laughs> so stupid. I don't know why I did this, but I went out there, and it was, like, iced over in the winter. I was getting ready to go to this, like, game, and I went to, like, stand on the ice. I was like, hey, he's like, get off the ice. I was like, no, it's super thick, and I, like, crashed through, you know, and hit the bottom, and I tore, like, his little liner of the fish pond, which obviously kind of pissed him off because he likes his fish. Um, he's like, why did you do that? I was like, I don't know. I thought it was thick enough. But I think pride's sort of like that in that it's just fake. Like, when you have tons of pride, it's just not real. You're not that awesome. Like, you don't have that much going for you. You're not above falling to sin. You're not, like, the smartest person in the room or the most holy person in the room, probably. Um, and so it's fake, and it says pride leads to destruction because eventually, like, the ice falls out from underneath your feet. The reality is going to come true. Hitler thought he was undefeatable, and eventually the Allied forces broke through on his own plans. It wasn't the mistake of one of his generals. It was his mistake. And it came crashing down and ruined everything. And so I think it's helpful to realize that. Pride is a way of lying to us. It leads to destruction because it shows us how unable we are. And so, as you keep going, um, we've got a gospel in this. So in Isaiah 66, 2, um, God says, All these things my hand has made, so all these things came to be. But this is the one to whom I look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. Um... And then Jesus later says, whoever would be first must be last of all and servant of all. And so, the pathway to greatness in the Bible is humility. It's that simple. It's been clear in this talk, I think. But the problem is, is it, God says be humble. That's the pathway to greatness. You want to be first, be last and servant of all. But let's be honest. When you look at that list, we're all guilty of like all of them. All the time. You've been in this conference thinking, I figured it out. I'm over this sin. I'm, I'm better than these other people or whatever. And the reality is we're not humble. We're not contrite. Um, we don't tremble at the word. And we kind of sit there in just helplessness. And that's where the gospel comes in, is that Jesus was. He trembled at the word. He is obedient to God. He he obeyed the word in such a way that he listened to his father and mother. He listened to his friends. He was ashamed. He was mocked. People thought he was crazy. Like, And he didn't, like, disobey. He didn't act like, you know... He didn't act like an idiot. Like, he was humble, even though he didn't even need to be. Like, he was God in the flesh. And so, Jesus really was the one to whom God was looking. God was pleased with him. God looked at him and said, You are humble and contrite in spirit, and you tremble at my word. And we're not. And I, see, I say that because this is that the gospel is the only way that we will actually be humble. Like, practically, that's the only way we're going to be humble. And so, don't graduate from the gospel. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones has a quote that says, um, when I see that I'm a sinner, that nothing but the Son of God on the cross can save me, I'm humbled to the dust. Um, nothing but the cross can give us that spirit of humility. And I think that's so powerful, because you might walk away and say, there's a lot of things I've learned, that if I just do them, I'll be more humble. But the cross actually says, you're a creature, you're a weak creature, You're a sinful creature, and now the Son of God died for you. And it should bring us really, really low before him. And I think the cross is the only place that's not like ice on a pond in the world. It's the only place where you can get an identity and status that's firm. When you bow before the cross, I know people say, like, the ground's level before the cross. It really is. Like, how can you look at the cross and say, I've got something to offer? How can you say, man, I don't want to be ashamed or mocked or humiliated when... God in the flesh is mocked and shamed and humiliated. And I think the cross is the only way that we can grow um, in humility. And so with that being said, um, how do we actually grow in humility? Um, how does the gospel bring us low instead of puffing us up? And so I'm sure that like some of you are like grasping that concept of humility, but to give you kind of a working definition um, before I kind of move in these practical steps, some of them, um, it's just kind of like looking at ourselves realistically as we think about God and His holiness. Like, how are we compared to God and His holiness? Um, realistically, how does God view us um, in many ways? And so, um, hopefully this is fairly quick and applicable for you. Now, I haven't written down this, so you don't have to, like, scramble to do it. I'm kind of a sucky note taker, so I want to help you out. Um, so the first way is just reflect on why you should be humble. Um, the first is that you're a creature. Like, you're dependent. God is independent. Um, You're not self-sufficient. God is. Uh, The second one is you're weak and incompetent. Like, you don't have all the abilities you need to get through life. Like, you're not, you know, a financial advisor, and you're not a pastor. Like, you don't have all the things you need to get through life. You're dependent on other people, and you're incapable of doing all of them. God is competent. He's omnicompetent. He's omnipotent. He can do anything He wants. Um, You're a sinful creature. It's not just say you're weak, but you're sinful. You're wicked. You're rebellious. And lastly, the glorious Son of God had to die for you. And so those things should humble you. Um, Secondly, it's just to remember your spiritual mentors. That's not on there. I thought about that as I was preparing for this talk last night. Um, I had a professor in college that said we stand on the shoulders of giants. And I think a lot of the giants in your life wouldn't make the cover of a book they wouldn't be a seminar speaker. And the guys in my life, um, one's named Steve Wagner and one's named uh, Brady Zimmer. And as I think back, I'm, I'm so humbled by who they are um, and the fact they played a part in my life. And another guy, I guess his name is Adrian Steele, who was a weak person, like in all reality. Some of you know him as well. And Adrian's a weak person emotionally, physically sometimes. And if he, if he wasn't in my life, if he didn't take the pathway to weakness, I wouldn't be standing here. And so remember your spiritual mentors. Um, thirdly, confess your sin to God, but also other people. Um, fourthly, banish the thought of I'm the only one. It's easy. That's a form of pride to say, I'm the only one that shows this sin the way I do. I'm the only one that had a hard childhood growing up. I'm the only one who has this class loader, this coach, or this teacher, or this roommate. Like When you begin to believe that, you put yourself on an island that you're unable to be helped by other people. And I think that's a form of pride that isolates yourself. Do not believe that the temptation we face is actually common to man. Uh, but we're the only one facing it. Um, ask people for feedback and don't give them a reason for your action. Just take it. Be like, yo, what do I need to change? Like, how do I need help? And don't give them a reason for why you did it. Just take it. Like, act like they have something off for you. Um, six, just ask some dang questions. That's, that's what you guys need a lot of work on, so do I. Just, when you show up at a thing like this, meet with every person you can Ask them as many questions as you can. When you're hanging with your friends, ask them questions about their life. And when they tell you something, don't just be like, "Yeah, I know that." Be like, "Okay, like maybe I can get clarity on what they're saying so I can understand better." And act like you don't have all the answers, um, but take the position of humility in that. So ask them dang questions. Um, when you're talking to someone, don't say something like, "You know, I know, I already knew that." Because you probably didn't. You didn't know what they were thinking. You don't know like where they're coming from. You probably don't even understand all that what they're saying. So just don't say that. Um, assume you know way less than you do uh, just in life. Ask questions about the Bible uh, rather than telling people um, what you know. Be slow to speak and quick to listen. Confess your doubts uh, to friends and counselors. Uh, make your anxiety known uh, because he cares for you. Like confess your anxiety to God. And allow him to carry your burden. Uh, don't carry that. It's a form of pride acting like you can make it through life without the assistance of God. Um, twelfth, just read some books. Like, I'm not saying everyone needs to be a reader. But when people say, I hate reading or I don't read, <laughs> maybe this is, you're going to be like, Chase Your Area for saying this. But I just kind of sit there and think, I wish I knew everything like you. Like, I wish, you know, I just had life figured out and I didn't need to read and I'm not saying like go just read a billion books or whatever. But when someone gives you a suggestion, read it. If you're seeing a D group, read the whole book. Like you have so much to learn from that stuff, and so do I. And I think reading is a way to grow in humility, expand your base of knowledge, um, and things like that. It kind of just you before the humility of that God's given other people. And, and I guess on top of that, there's kind of a soapbox that I stand on sometimes. is don't read articles all the time. Like an article makes you more arrogant than it makes you more humble. Because you think like, oh, John Piper wrote this article about the Bible. Now I know everything about how to defend the truth of the Bible, or the reliability of the New Testament manuscripts. But you don't. You don't know everything about even what John Piper thinks. It just makes you feel like you do. Like I have this little bit of information, but in reality, like you, like you think I have this much information, but in reality, like that much, even about that one author's thought. So I suggest, not that articles are always bad, but try to read books. Like get a whole author's thought. I think it's helpful. Two I'd recommend is Humility by C.J. Mahaney and Freedom of self forgiveness by Tim Keller. And if if you're like, I've already read those, we'll read them again. They're always good. Encourage the people around you. If you're not encouraging people, it's kind of like saying that no one else possesses the qualities that are admirable that I don't already possess. So like, you know, if Taylor's sitting here and I don't have any reason to encourage Taylor then it's kind of like saying she doesn't have anything that I don't already have. Like, she should be encouraging me. It's like saying I'm already, I've got, I'm the complete package, and no one else is worthy of admiration or encouragement because I already have all the things that are necessary. Um, listen to the person that leads you. Um, don't just ask them questions and go and not do what they say. Like, just go, like, when they tell you something, maybe try it out. Maybe they know more than you do. Um, I think when you walk in a room I of a guy and ask him his tips, just think, I'm the worst person here. And that might sound crazy, but if you guys know Jonathan Edwards, he has like this little book um, called Resolutions. And it says, when I see the sin of another person, I don't sit there and think about how terrible they are. I let it remind me of what I'm capable of. And so I think that's a helpful tip. Uh, sharing your faith, it makes you realize how much you don't know, one. And secondly, just how dependent you are on God to change people's hearts. Um, memorize some verses about pride and humility. Um, honor your father and mother don't belittle them uh, like you would have done better and I know some of you probably have terrible parents I've got some pretty terrible parents but there's still reasons to admire them and other people that have stepped up and cared for your life because you weren't self made from the time you came out of the womb um, people did care for you um, and so I would just honor them uh, feast at the table, don't just set it go to the word and be filled up don't just look for ways to pour out um, you need the word to be sustained Um, Being okay to be wrong and have stupid answers. uh, This talk's kind of coming to an end here. Um, We were talking to this guy he's a seminary professor. His name's Dan Doriani. And we were asking him some questions about Galatians, which I've been studying all semester. You know, I'm the campus director. The campus, you'd think, you know, this guy probably knows his stuff. Read a couple commentaries. Thought I really knew my crap. And he's like, hey, can you want to give me a thought on this? Yeah, I've got you, Dan. Raise my hand. He's like, well everyone else is like, yeah, that's a good answer, that's a good answer. And he kind of looked at me and was like, well, it's kind of like you are skiing, and then you kind of fell down and crashed. That was pretty much wrong. (laughs) It's like, great. And everyone kind of looked at me, and he's like, who said that? And everyone's like, oh, the leader of this whole thing got it super wrong and got made fun of. But just be okay to be wrong. It's good. Um, And then lastly is don't graduate from the gospel. Um, Some of you are going to be like, to fight pride, these are the five things you need to do. But in reality, if you forget the gospel... That's the only way to true humility, so don't forget it. And so lastly, I just want to end, um, kind of as we close our time out, the last few minutes here. I know it kind of took probably longer than you were wanting, Um, but just two stories. Uh, The first is kind of like when you use the Bible to stand on the crossbars of the cross and beat your chest. You use the gospel to actually puff you up. Um, It's like you're standing on the cross, beating your chest, showing the world how awesome you are. And to do so, I just want to illustrate the the life of a guy named George Ladd. Raise your hand if you know that name, if you've ever heard of that. George Ladd. Okay, that's somewhat crucial. It would probably be helpful if everyone knew him. But basically, I would probably say this, that George Ladd changes the way his scholarship, he's a New Testament scholar, the way that you read the Bible. He's significant. Super, super important. And you more about the Bible than probably anyone alive today. Um... But George Ladd staked his whole life on writing a book that everyone would basically agree that it's an, it's an impenetrable argument, okay? So when he released his book, it came out. Guy came back, guy said, Yeah, I think I would change things if I were you. <laughs> and it crushed him. And you began to realize, so the stories, the biographies of George Ladd are actually really sad, but it kind of reveals that he was using the Bible to propagate himself. And so after he got that review, he kind of spiraled into alcoholism, And later, um, if you read some of the stories about him, even when he was doing a study, it's pretty likely that he fell into an adulterous affair. Um, He fell into alcoholism and at least verbal abuse of his family. Um, And basically what he's known for is that. Like, you read the Bible differently because of him, but if you read a biography about him, it's just a really sad story. Um, It's a really sad story of using the Bible and using the gospel to propagate yourself and make yourself look better than you actually are. And eventually, the end of his life was destruction. He died young, uh, had a problem with alcoholism. He, there's stories of him going down the halls of the seminary, got his first royalty check, holding a $10,000 check, saying, this is the person who teaches you. You should be excited about that. Like, do you know who I am? And I just have the I have the feeling that, that a lot of us in this room could fall in the same trap, using our spirituality to make us more prideful. But on the flip side, um, just The path to true humility, it's simple. I just tell the story of two people. One's name is Brady, he said, God led me to Christ. Uh, Another's name is John uh, Mahan. Um, And Brady, I just say this basically, none of you will ever know him. You'll never read a book by him. He doesn't change the way you read the Bible. But Brady was humble to invite me to be his friend when he was a senior. I was a freshman. He was humble to continue to be my friend throughout his college career. And now he's a humble youth pastor in a small town. Still leading people to Christ, still sharing the gospel, and still faithfully serving his church um, without any recognition. And I say he's really humble because every time I meet with him, even though he's much older, been married for much longer, and led me to Christ, every time he meets with me, he asks me what I've been reading, what I've learned about ministry, and what he could change about the way he does youth group. And I think that's really humbling. And the other guy, John, uh, is a guy that works for us in our region. He just went to Mexico, had a meet with my D group. And I was like, John, tell us some stories about all these people you've led to Christ. You know, you're kind of like the legend when it comes to evangelism. And he's like, you know, no, I'm not the legend. And all he basically talked about is how much of a sinner he was and how many mistakes he made. And I was like, dude, John, just tell us something. And he just couldn't get over it. He's like, dude, I just need the gospel super bad. And the next week at church is like his ordination service. And the guy goes up there and he goes, most of our young adults have some connection to John Mahan. It's really sad to see him go. And you just kind of look around and you're like, Dang. A lot of these people were led to Christ in our region so impacted by this guy who couldn't even tell a story about how great of an evangelist he is because he's so consumed with his own humility and how humble he is before the cross. And so I hope that's encouraging to give you a view of what true humility is like. But let me pray real quick, and I'll let you guys go. Um, Father, give us grace to be humble bow us before the cross. Um, give us grace in all of life because we need it. Praise in Christ name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at conycindy.com.